today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com. And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. Eleventh chapter of the book of Romans tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. Romans chapter eleven. We're going to pick it up in verse eight again tonight. Romans chapter eleven, verse eight. The apostle Paul quotes Isaiah six and ten, as well as Isaiah twenty-nine, verse ten, and says. According as it is written, God hath given them the spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, and ears that they should not hear unto this day. Now, this right here is the end result of rejecting Jesus Christ. As you know, Israel rejected Christ as the Messiah, and God just didn't arbitrarily do this thing. This is a law established by the Godhead sometime in eternity past. It is the law of sowing and reaping. In other words, if people do certain things, there are consequences that have to be paid. And whenever light is given, and that light is rejected, then that light is withdrawn. And it doesn't just stop right there. What little light they had to start with is withdrawn as well. It doesn't just stop there. That not only pertains to salvation, but it also pertains to our Christian growth. Both on a personal level as well as a corporate level. The Holy Spirit is our teacher according to John 14, 26. And when we go against what the Holy Spirit is saying, the heart becomes hardened, which makes it much harder the next time the Holy Spirit speaks. When Jesus addressed the church at Ephesus, Dana, if you will, go over to Revelation chapter 2. Let's look at some things there. I'll expound upon it a little more, what we're trying to say. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Unto the angel, that's the messenger or the pastor of the church. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he, speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand. Now the stars are symbolic of the pastors of the churches. The pastor of the church 
is not to be set on a pedestal and worshipped. He is, however, to be recognized and honored as the tool that God is using for the work of the ministry. And you can read that in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12. Unto the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that hold the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. Now the candlesticks, when the interpretation was given in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 20, the candlesticks represent and is symbolic of the church. In the Old Testament, the candlestick had another name known as the menorah. And the word menorah simply means light bearer. During the Old Testament times, Israel was the light bearer of the world. They were the light of the world at that particular time. The lampstand sat in the tabernacle, and it was the only source of light in the tabernacle. It was to be ordered by the priest twice a day. And Jesus, in the first chapter of the book of Revelation, is pictured wearing priestly garments. And as I said... Among the many duties of the priest, one of those important duties was twice a day he was to go into the tabernacle and order the lamps, maintain that lampstand. The command was given that it was to never go out. And the way those old lamps worked, there would be a bowl and it was filled with olive oil and a piece of flax would sit and float in top of that oil, and the capillary action as that piece of flax was set on fire would soak up the oil and it would burn, and it was used to light up the tabernacle. And that flax, having grown beside the riverbanks over in Egypt, would soak up the impurities and the nutrients in the soil. And when it was set on fire, those impurities and those nutrients that was in the soil that got soaked up into that piece of flax, it would come to the surface. And as that fire burned and as the oil flowed through it, soot would build up on the top of the wick. And the priest would go in and extinguish the fire, remove the wick from the oil, trim the wick trim that soot off of the surface, pour fresh oil in, which is a type of the Holy Spirit, set that piece of flax back down in the oil and submerge it down in there good and light it back up again. And Jesus, being our heavenly high priest today, wants to have the opportunity to maintain our light today. The same way. Understand this. As the Holy Spirit flows through your heart and life, impurities will come to the surface. You are not going to be the light as you ought to be and the Holy Spirit be in your life and He not point some things out to you. 
unless you're perfect. Is anybody perfect? I don't see any hands being raised. Well, if you say you're perfect, let me talk to your husband or your wife. I tell you, let me talk to your children and learn a lot from talking to the children. (laughs) I'll leave that alone. As the Holy Spirit works in our lives, He points things out to you. Things that ought not to be there, inconsistencies, and the Lord wants to trim your wick. He wants to trim off that which ought not to be there, and He wants to pour fresh oil in, which is a type of the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And this was done twice a day. We should go before the Lord constantly asking for His help, leading and guidance and moving of His Spirit within our hearts and lives. That light is to never go out in you as an individual, and it definitely should not go out as us as it pertains to the church. And here we have the priest examining the light of the candlestick. And Christ is examining our light today. He's examining the light of the church. And you and I make up the church. Each one of us have a function. Each one of us brings something to the church. Now, my question is this. What you're bringing to the church, is it adding to the flame? Or is it extinguishing the flame? Hmm. Because the Lord is looking at the flame. He's standing in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks, and He's maintaining the light of the church if we will allow Him to do that. All right, look at verse 2, Revelation 2, verse 2. He said, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and hast found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not All of these things that we have just mentioned here in these two verses, all of these are good things. These are things that the members in that church brought to the table, so to speak. This is what was contributed to the church, and they were all good things. But Jesus said in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first Love. Now, I want you to notice here that Jesus did not say you've lost your first love. Because when you lose something, most of the time it's an accident if you lose something. Jesus said here rather that you have left your first love, which carries the idea of a willful decision. So, In other words, we have a willful decision to leave the first love and to embrace something else. Now, I don't know about you, but that sounds like adultery to me. 
to have a first love and to leave that first love and to embrace something else. That is adultery, which leads me to another thing, spiritual adultery. When one comes to Christ, they are in essence married to Christ. Paul likened our relationship to Christ as a marriage relationship. 2 Corinthians 11 verse 2. We are to depend on the Lord Jesus Christ to supply our every need. And our greatest need of all is the need of righteousness and holiness, which we cannot provide for ourselves, but Christ provided that for us when he died on Calvary's cross. Now, many have accepted Christ as their Savior. But then they turn right around and place their faith in works. Doing this, doing that, not doing certain things. And the list goes on and on. Works are important. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Works definitely has its place in our Christian experience. But we are not to place our faith in the doing of works, either for salvation or sanctification. When we place our faith in what we do, that's when we have a problem. Our faith is to be in what He has already done. When we place our faith in anything other than Christ and what He did for us at the cross, we commit the sin of spiritual adultery. Let me say that again. Anytime you place your faith in anything, and it makes no difference what it is, and, and most of the time it's religious. When you place your faith in anything other than Christ and what He's done to yourself and what you're doing, you're committing the sin of spiritual adultery. Now I want you to look back in verses 2 and 3 of Revelation chapter 2. I want you to look at all of those good things that the people in this church were doing. They're good things, and I wish we had churches today who were doing these types of things. Jesus said, I know your works, your labor, your patience. Good gracious, we need church members today that are patient. No, I didn't get no amens on that one. Can't bear them which are evil. Tried them which say they are apostles and are not. Found them liars, you've born, you've, and again, patience is mentioned. Labored and have not fainted. All of those are good things. But I wonder if the doing of those things, I wonder if they fell in love with that more than they did Christ. As someone has said, the doing of religion is one of the strongest narcotics there is. Jesus said, Revelation 2, verse 5, speaking to this church, Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent and do the first works. In other words, repent and come back to Christ in His finished work. That is the first work on which the foundation of the church is built. When we leave the cross, we no longer have a relationship. We have a religion. Do this. Do that. 
And here we have it right here, Revelation 2, verse 5, the latter part of that verse. He said, Or else I will come unto thee quickly and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. When light is given and light is rejected, then light is withdrawn. And it doesn't stop right there. Even what little light you had to start with will be taken away. And Jesus said the latter end of the man is worse than the first. In 262 A.D., the city of Ephesus was destroyed by the Goths. And today, all that's left is the ruins of what used to be a thriving city. The light went out. We here in this church have a tremendous responsibility. That responsibility is to keep our faith anchored in Christ and let the Holy Spirit have His way. And let the Lord trim the wick. Get ourselves out of the way. Let Christ trim self out of the way. Examine what we're bringing to the table and let's see if it's adding to the light or is it in some way extinguishing the light. That is our part. Get out of the way and let the Holy Ghost have His way. Look at verse 7 before we leave here. Revelation 2 verse 7. He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches. This statement is made to all seven churches addressed in the book of Revelation. We must take heed to what the Holy Spirit is trying to say. Alright, Dana, if you will, go to Romans 11, verse 9. Paul uses a saying of David. And David saith, Romans chapter 11, verse 9, And David saith, Let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block and a recompense unto them. The table has to do with prosperity. As we look back in history and we study Israel's history, when they even so much as halfway followed the Word of God and tried to abide by what was written therein, they were blessed. But the blessing became a snare when they mistook the blessing of God for the approval of God. Just because you're blessed, that don't mean that God goes along with what you're doing. So you can ride by churches on Sunday morning and see a parking lot full. And you would say, oh man, God's really blessed them, but that don't mean that He's approving of what's going on. There's a lot of things you can do to get people in them doors. And we'll deal with that here in just a few minutes. Look at verse 10, Romans 11. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see, and bow down their back always. Israel's situation wasn't because that they couldn't see the truth. Jesus performed miracle after miracle in full public view for everyone to see. He didn't do it in secret. 
It was all done in full public view. So their blindness was a willful blindness. They didn't want to see. And the phrase there, they bow down their back always, that simply means that because of their decision to reject Christ, they're under the burden of captivity. And no nation in the world has suffered like the nation of Israel has suffered. And like I said, it's all because of their rejection of the light, that blessed gospel light. And this should be a warning to us today, and is a warning to us today. And if you'll look down in verse 21, Paul said, For if God spared not the natural branches, speaking of Israel, take heed lest he spare not thee, speaking of the church. If the church goes the same way that Israel went, which many are today, the church will be cut off exactly as Israel was cut off, and captivity will be the end result. But it is a spiritual captivity, a captivity to the sin nature. One of the largest movements in the church world today is the seeker-sensitive movement. And what is that? You send out a survey into the community, and you find out what the people want. And then you make changes inside your church according to what the people out there in the community want. You just give them what they want. And we got some churches today painting their walls black and, and tearing out all kinds of stuff and doing away with this and that and the other. And they're putting... Vending machines out in the vestibule. Some of them's even put a Krispy Kreme donuts out there. Selling coffee and donuts and got rid of the pews and putting chairs in there with cup holders and, and let the people just come in and sit down and eat and drink coffee while the service is going on. That's what the people want. With their smoke bombs going and lights are flashing and all of this kind of stuff. Whatever the people want, we're going to give it to them. That's your seeker-sensitive movement today. They send out a survey, find out what they won't give to one of the largest seeker-sensitive churches in America some time ago. Surveyed their members. I think the church is running somewhere over 30,000 now members. Surveyed the members and asked them certain questions. They didn't have to sign their name to the survey, but they were asked to be honest and answer those questions and be honest about it. They found out that their church was full of practicing homosexuals, adulterers, pedophiles, drug addicts, alcoholics, and the list went on and on. And the leader of that church said, well, I guess what we're doing is not working. So we're going to have to come up with something else. You think? Really? If the preacher's not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ for salvation, as well as sanctification, how we live on a daily basis, then captivity to the sin nature is going to be the end result. All you're going to have is a church full of sinners that are not saved. That's what you're going to have. 
All right, Romans 11, verse 11. I say then, have they, speaking of Israel, stumbled that they should fall? In other words, have they stumbled never to rise again? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation is come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. God intended for Israel to accept Christ as the Messiah and then to be the leading nation of the world, carrying forth the gospel to the four corners of the globe. But due to their rejection of Christ, God has now turned to the Gentile church to carry forth the gospel. God has and is blessing the church today. And this country, for that matter. He blesses the efforts of a church that carries forth the gospel. He blesses a country whose greatest export is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And those blessings are meant to provoke Israel to jealousy and to bring them to God. But sadly, according to the book of Revelation, it's going to take seven years of tribulation before they come back to God. Romans 11 verse 12. Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles. Let me stop right there. The way that this is translated over into our English, it sounds like the world has been blessed due to Israel rejecting Christ. And although the, the Gentile church has received many blessings that were intended for Israel, that's not the meaning of what is said here. It simply means that Israel's failure did not stop the gospel from coming to the rest of the world. That's what that means here. And then Paul asked the question, how much more their fullness? This question here points to the fact that one day soon Israel will be restored to their rightful place and will be a great blessing to the world as God originally intended. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.